And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story, real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts, presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome. It's uh, Tuesday as uh, we start to head into the end of the week. As we talked about yesterday, you know, we said, hey, expect some sloppy trading in the markets and uh, didn't really expect the market to sell off nearly 1% yesterday. But that's actually kind of what happened. And again, you know, we've talked about the fact that this week is pretty much going to be, you know, kind of this very back and forth week. Tomorrow, we've got the Federal Reserve going to be talking about potentially uh, the speed and the aggressiveness of their monetary tapering. So this is going to be kind of one of the issues that will weigh on the market is, you know, right now, a lot of, of you know, headline media, et cetera, saying, oh, don't worry about Fed rate hikes. When the Fed hikes rates, stocks tend to do fine. And they do um, initially do fine. You know, when the Fed hikes rates once, uh, generally markets don't do a whole lot. And you know, as is always the case, it's kind of like a car rolling down a hill, right? So, I mean, you put a car in neutral, you're driving down the hill and, you know, you tap the brakes. It really doesn't do a whole lot to slow the car, right? And that's kind of like the first rate hikes, that first tap of the brakes. It doesn't do a whole lot to slow the momentum of the markets. However, if you keep applying the brake, eventually the car will slow, even though it's rolling downhill, even though it's got momentum, that momentum will slow because you're putting on a brake. And that's the way that the market works and that's the way it works with Fed rate hikes. So when the Fed starts hiking rates, it will start to slow the momentum of the markets, maybe not initially, but eventually the markets are going to slow. And here's the problem with this is that, and, and look, we can go all the way back into the 1960s and take a look at Fed rate hikes and what happened. And, and there's, there's with every single case, without exception, when the Fed has hiked rates, there's either been some type of crisis, um, a market crash, a bear market, a recession, something, right? Um, and that's because they tend to hike rates too much. And the problem with the Fed is that they're working on, you know, they have this grand idea that they can actually control inflation to start with, right? They, they are so good. You know, their monetary policy can control employment inflation. And, and look, you have no control of that. You're working with guesses in the future. So you're hiking rates, expecting something to happen. And then all of a sudden you hike rates one time too much, right? It's that, you know, it's just that moment where you hike rates one time too much and everything just completely comes to a standstill. And that happens repeatedly throughout history. And it often leaves uh, investors on the wrong side of the markets. And this particularly in a market now. I mean, if you really t think about what's going on in the markets, we've had record levels of uh, venture capital activity this year. I mean, the number of companies being backed by venture capital, mostly technology, has just been a record inflow of capital. There's just capital flooding into this market from every single corner of, of, of the planet. Private equity deals. Companies going uh, IPO, and this is, you know, if we take a look at the number of VC companies that are exiting their strategies, they're doing that at a record pace, putting those out in the public market. SPACs have been at a record this year. Companies that have been merging back, you know, kind of moving into SPACs. Getty Images, um, who is a company that produces, you know, graphics, 
uh, graphic images for use on the web or in the media, et cetera, they're going public by moving into a SPAC and they're going to go public. I'm not sure why anybody want to buy it, but hey, <laughs> you know, there you go. I mean, but that's the whole thing. Anybody that wants to go public right now can by moving into these special purpose acquisition companies and, and they're trying to go public that way. So again, it's just that appetite. Everybody's trying to cling on to, this, the, to the brass ring that is the market right now. And we are now rapidly moving into territory in terms of valuation. Long-term valuations are, are almost, I mean, we are very close to the peak of the market in 1999, which is actually a good thing, right? The best thing would be is that we could set an all-time valuation record, which could happen. Right, if we get this Santa Claus rally into the end of the year that pushes stocks up towards all-time highs, we could actually eclipse the dot-com bubble peak in terms of valuations, which would be great because old guys like me could stop talking about the dot-com bust, which most retail traders today weren't even around for. <laughs> and we can start talking about this one, right? We'll have a new point of reference. Yeah, you remember that bust back in 2022? There you go. Uh, at least we at least we could get on, you know, move forward into the century. It's like, yeah, well, my grandpa back in 1800. Well, you know, most people weren't around back then, grandpa. <laughs> so anyway, you know, that's where we are. You know, just kind of everywhere you look, we're currently at, you know, kind of just records of exuberance. And it's completely okay. Markets are, are doing just fine here. And as we talked about, you know, yesterday, expect some sloppy trading this week. Uh, the Fed's going to be talking about rate hikes. Again, no big deal right now. So, you know, I don't really expect the markets to do much. We also have options expiration on Friday. They could put some additional selling pressure on stocks. Stocks look to be opening a little bit weak this morning. So, again, probably going to be flirting around with a 20-day moving average. A retest of the 50-day moving average certainly wouldn't be surprising. Um, but that would also set the market up for this rally into the end of the year. And again, we're still on our buy signals currently. And, you know, so everything's kind of been playing out pretty much as we've been expecting here over the last couple of, of really last two months. We talked about taking some profits after that big rally in November, preparing for the correction that we had in the first couple of weeks of December. That's been going on and getting set up for that end of the year rally. So again, everything's kind of playing out accordingly. And, and as we kind of look at where we are, and moving into the end of the year, there's just some things to think about as we move into next year. Because again, from you know, a valuation perspective, the Fed's tightening monetary policy, you've got less liquidity coming into the markets, right? We're no longer sending out $1,400 checks to households, $900 checks to households. All that liquidity flow is now beginning to exit the system. Real wages are returning back to the long-term trend because of rising inflationary pressures. Now, next year, inflation is going to peak and start to roll over. We're going to solve some of these supply chains. Most manufacturers right now expect that they will be able to resolve their supply chain problems by sometime between second and third quarter of next year. So again, a lot of those inflationary pressures are likely going to start subsiding a bit um, as we move into next year. Real wages have been rising mostly in lower end workers. So again, you know, retail workers, uh, restaurant workers, et cetera, that have been in short supply. Their wages have been rising a lot faster. That's giving this illusion that wages are rising really across the board. That's not really the case. It's been mostly on the low end. Wage earner workers, that's where that's been occurring for the most part. So that so inflation is now starting to push that back. And, you know, when we start to look at consumption, which is what drives the economy, inflationary pressures, weaker wage growth, et cetera, 
that's going to start to weigh on economic activity next year as well. So again, while 2021 has just been a bonanza year for the stock market, that's been because of just a lot of liquidity. The Fed doing $120 billion a month in a QE, zero interest rates, uh, lots of checks hitting households into re you know getting money into the hands of retail traders armed with an app to go trade stocks. That's done very, very well so far, but a lot of those trends are reversing. And this is something we're going to talk about after the break. Um, it's today's article that's on the website talking about wipeout below the surface. And if you take a look at this S&P 500, it's been great this year. And if you've owned the right stocks, you've done very, very well this year. However, below the surface. And again, once you get below that headline number of the S&P 500, start looking at other indexes, other global markets. The, the picture of how stocks are performing are vastly different. And we're going to come back and talk about that after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. So stick around. More of the Real Investment Show coming up. We've got a lot to get into this morning, but we're going to pick up with Wipeout Below the Surface right after the break. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. You know, if you're watching a live stream, you see a lot of hand signals in the video. <laughs> Britt and I have an entirely unspoken language after so many years of working together. <laughs> he understands that when I call him number one, it's not that I think he's number one. <laughs> it's generally telling me to do something I don't want to do. <laughs> so. <laughs> so anyway, uh, a couple of things here, uh, you know, again, as I talked about a second ago, you know, you take a look at the S&P 500. S&P 500 is up 25% this year. It's been a great year, right? Been a little sloppy lately, expecting a little bit of sloppy trading this week. Not surprising again. But it's been a pretty good year. If you've owned the right stocks. Now, there's going to be a lot of people that, you know, they don't really pay attention to their money very much. And, you know, at the end of the year, they'll review their statement. And they're going to go, I, I don't understand. You know, the, the market's up 25% this year. My portfolio is only up, you know, 7 8%, you know, maybe. There's going to be some people that actually wind up negative for the year because they've owned the wrong stocks or the wrong indexes. And this is going to be kind of an interesting issue, particularly coming into next year. 
and things are going to get tougher next year. Lack of, you know, the, the global liquidity flows are going to slow down. Interest rates are going up. Monetary policy is changing. It's getting tighter. It's tighter. You know, next year is going to be a very different year for the markets. And so this, this year has been great if you've owned the right stocks. And, uh, and this really kind of today's, you know, article on the website, if you take a look at, at the market, right, the market's just been climbing this very steady trend really all year long. And it's been a very nice advance. Volatility hasn't been huge. We, I mean, we've had a few, you know, 1% days, but, you know, we haven't had big drawdowns of any magnitude. We've had a couple of 5 percenters this year, very normal. You know, earlier this year, we kept talking about a 5% drawdown. And, you know, back in March, April, May, we we're saying, oh, the markets, you know, should draw down. We've been a very long time without a 5% drawdown. And everybody was like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. You've been saying that forever. It doesn't happen. And boom, you have one. And the same thing this summer is like, oh, we, you know, very long advance without a 5% drawdown. Then we had another one. So, you know, it's those things occur with regularity. We get these these moments in time, though, where we go, well, that's just, you know, this time's different. That's not going to happen for one reason or the other. And then it happens. And so when we take a look at this market, it's been great. And again, it's been a very low volatility market. It's been a very easy to make money um, just by kind of throwing money into an index. But one of the, the things is, like I said, is that you really have to have owned the right stocks this year. If we take a look at the top 10 market capitalization stocks in the S&P 500 index, Apple is about to cross $3 trillion in market cap. Now, market capitalization, what is that? That is simply the price of the stock times the number of shares outstanding. That's all it is. So if I have if the if the price of my stock is ten dollars, and I have one share, I've issued one share to the market. You know, Brent bought my one share of stock for ten dollars. <laughs> my market cap is ten dollars, right? So the price of Apple, the market capitalization is the price of Apple stock times the number of stock, shares they've got outstanding. Well, they've been buying shares back like crazy. So you know that's been a big boom you know for apple insiders here's here's the interesting thing though market capitalization should be a function of the value of the business right take a look at apple as an example since 2000 about so just say over the last decade They've grown their sales, right? The revenue, what, what happens, you know, they go out and they sell an iPhone, right? They collect revenue from that. And then from that revenue, they've got to pay everything else, right? All the development costs, they got to pay their employees, the rent, everything, right? If you take a look at what they earned at the top line, the revenue, they've grown revenue roughly, and I'm just kind of ballparking, about 11% a year. So they've grown it. They, they've compounded their sales about eleven percent a year. The stock price is up eleven hundred percent. You know, it's hard to justify that type of valuation for Apple. I mean, it's a great company. We own it, right? Full disclosure, we own it in our portfolios, and we continue to own it, right? But, but again, it's it's hard to justify that type of valuation. Go through the top 10 stocks of the S&P, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Google, Amazon, Tesla. I say Google twice, yes, because there's two versions of Google. Amazon, Tesla, Facebook, NVIDIA, Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan, and United Healthcare. Those are the top 10 stocks in terms of market cap. 
However, what's been driving the index is not the top 10. It's actually a much smaller component of that. In fact, you know, we'll get into that in a second. But if we take a look at the top 10, those top 10 names, right? Now, remember, the S&P 500 is market cap weighted. So the larger your market capitalization is, the bigger the weight it is in the index. So it has more influence in the index. So quick example, um, I've got an index with five stocks and they all move up 1%, but one of my stocks is worth half the index. So the impact of that stock is five times as large as the other four in the index. Gotcha? So that's how that works. So the S&P is market cap weighted. Well, the top 10 stocks in the index make up 33% of the entire index. So when those top 10 stocks advance, it advances the entire index to a greater degree. And how much of a greater degree are we talking about? Well, the top 10 stocks in terms of market capitalization and their weighting in the index make up the same market capitalization weighting as the bottom 432 stocks in the index. So effectively, a dollar rise in the top 10 stocks is the same impact on the index as a dollar increase in the bottom 432 stocks in the index. So in other words, when, those, when you get down to the bottom of the index, those stocks can have tremendous runs or declines and not really impact the index that much because of what's happening in the top 10. And that's exactly what's been going on in the index this year in particular. And when we start talking about what's happening in the index and, and what's happening above and below the surface, if you take a look at the top 10 year-to-date returns of those top 10 stocks, Apple's up over 30% this year. Microsoft's up over 50% this year. Google is up almost 70% this year. Tesla's up over 40 um, Nvidia, another stock that we own in our portfolio, is up 130% this year. So those stocks, either those top 10 stocks are growing faster than the entire index. So if the top 10 stocks are growing at, you know, two, you know, 30 to 40 to 50% faster than the index, in other words, the index is up 25% and these top 10 stocks are up 30, 40, 50, 60% or more, what's happening below the surface, right? There's got to, that's, you know, there's got to be a lot of anchor in that bottom 490 stocks. And that's exactly what's what's been going on. If we start taking a look below the surface and we take a look at some of the more uh, names that, you know, these retail traders have been chasing this year, the meme stocks, you know, the Tilrays, the uh, Stitch Fix, the Canopy Gross, the Lemonades, the Fuel Cell Energies, you know, those names, right? All those names we talk about with retail traders. These stocks right now are down anywhere from 82% to roughly 40% from their 52-week highs. So outside, you know, if you've owned the top 10 stocks in your portfolio, you've done okay this year, right? In fact, if your whole portfolio was just 10 stocks, you've done very well this year. You've killed the index. 
If you owned a bunch of these other stocks below the surface, your returns are not nearly as good. And in fact, there's a lot of damage that being done in these smaller return companies right now because of that very impact on that weighting below the surface. And, and so this is kind of one of those anomalies, right? We, it, it, if, if you really take a look at the market in particular, and, and you know, kind of a, a great way to look at the market, what's going on this year, is the ARK Innovation Fund. Now, this is Kathy Wood, and of course, she was hailed in 2020. Right, this is like the death nail for for portfolio manager. If a poor and, and this happened with with uh, Berkshire, uh, um, Berkowitz, the Berkowitz fund, back in two thousand, uh, Bruce Berkowitz was killing it with the Fairholme fund, and he was doing awesome. And they named him in in like nineteen ninety nine, uh, two thousand. They named him the the top portfolio manager of the decade. Right after that his fund crashed and never recovered. In 2020, Kathy Wood was held as the greatest investor ever, right? She's the new Warren Buffett. Her fund's down about 30% this year so far <laughs> and potentially getting worse here. But the, if you take a look at the index, the S&P 500 index, those top 10 cap-weighted companies versus the ARK Innovation Fund, which owns a lot of those sub smaller companies, right? These new up-and-coming innovations, you know, innovation companies, etc. Look, there's, and her thesis about the future of technology and, and what's going on may be great. But if you take a look at the S&P being up 25% and her fund being down 20 to 25% this year, that tells you a lot about what's happening below that surface, that wipeout of stocks below the surface. So, this year has pretty much really tells the tale. If we could strip out those top 10 stocks, we wouldn't be talking about a stock market up 25% this year. We'd be talking about a stock market maybe up 5, 6, 7%. Maybe. Maybe even negative. Be right back after the break. I'm Harold Science Roberts. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So just for the break, we were talking a little bit about, you know, the bifurcation in the market. And again, you know, there's an article on our website this morning called Wipeout Below the Surface. And it's simply talking about this issue of these top 10 stocks that are driving the market and really give you the illusion that the overall market's doing great. 
when in reality, there's a big chunk of the market that's not doing so great. And it's not just domestic stocks, right? It's international stocks, emerging markets, small caps, mid caps, not doing well this year, um, especially over the last few months. So again, you know, when we take a look at, and we talk about the market, the market's doing great, right? We talk about the S&P 500, we talk about the NASDAQ, and, and they are so heavily dominated by these top 10 stocks, it really creates an illusion. But that's also a risk. You know, as long as everybody keeps piling into Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Google, et cetera, it's fine. But what would change that dynamic? What could possibly change that dynamic? What happens if that changes, right? So, you know, think about it this way. If the top 10 stocks have been supporting the overall market because of their mega, their, you know, mega market cap size, what happens if they become a drag on the market? Well, first, we have to step back and we have to talk about why. Why is it that so many people are buying Apple and Microsoft and, you know, NVIDIA, Google, et cetera? The reason, and this, we've talked about this numerous times on the show, is, is liquidity. They're buying it for liquidity. It's safety. It's a, it's a way to be invested in stocks safely. Now, it has nothing to do with valuation. It has nothing to do with price, momentum, really. If I'm a hedge fund or a portfolio manager and I've got a billion dollars I've got to put to work, and that's been the case this year, money's been flowing. You know, we've had a trillion dollars of inflows into the markets this year, um, moving into various areas of the market, but equities have had a huge amount of inflows. So all this money's coming in, not just domestically, it's coming in from everywhere in the world, right? Everybody in the world is investing their capital into the U.S. to get into the U.S. market because it's doing so well relative to the rest of the world. You know, the, you know, the, the, the market in Brazil sucks, so I'm going to put my money in the U.S. because that's where money's being made right now. So as an investor, that's what I make that option do. Well, when that money comes in, Hedge funds, VCs, private equity guys, whatever, they got to put it to work. And this is the one of the problems we've got right now is too much money chasing too few deals. And that's causing these inflated valuations on things. But when it comes to investing in the actual equity market, so you throw money into an ETF or into a, you know, a, 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 you know, a, an equity based hedge fund, whatever it is, these guys have to put this money to work. They can't sit on cash. So they've got to put it to work. So where do they put it to work? Well, they've got a choice. I can either buy, you know, some of these smaller cap names, you know, maybe these new innovation funds, kind of like the ARK Innovation Fund, right? So I've got a choice. I can be the ARK Innovation Fund or I can be the S&P. What do you want to be this year? So if I'm trying to invest safely, I want to be in the S&P, I want to get S&P-like returns, but I want to do it as safely as possible, I've got to invest in those top 10, 15 stocks because those have high liquidity. What does that mean, Lance? You keep talking about this liquidity crunch. What are you talking about? I don't know. If I want to put money to work in a stock, somebody else has to be willing to sell to me, Okay. Right. That's the, you know, this whole thesis that there's money on the sidelines, complete myth. There's no there's no money on the sidelines. You can have a quadrillion dollars of cash sitting in a bucket. And that's not cash on the sidelines. When that cash comes into the market, a quadrillion people that own Apple 
have to sell shares of Apple to those guys that want to buy Apple. So it's always a net zero-sum game. What is the difference in that? Well, if I've got a quadrillion dollars worth of money coming into the market to all buy Apple, Apple says, okay, I'll sell you my shares, but I'm going to sell them to you at a much higher price. So the price has to go up for all of those sellers to be filled at their price by these buyers. So buyers continue to pay up because sellers are going, yeah, if you want to, if you want to buy my shares, it's fine, but you're going to have to buy them up here. The same thing occurs when those buyers want to become sellers. When sellers outnumber the buyers, all of a sudden the buyers go, yeah, I'm willing to buy your shares. But I'm going to buy them way down here. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, here's a chart of DocuSign. So DocuSign was hanging in there this year, doing okay. And all of a sudden, they announced bad earnings, and there was a big gap in the price. And what happened was, is that all of a sudden, there were more sellers than there were buyers. And the buyer said, hey, I'll buy your shares. It'll be 40% lower, but I'll buy your shares. And so people desperate to get out of, the, out of the stock because of this bad knee-jerk reaction to an earnings report, they dumped their shares 40% lower. And the buyers were there willing to buy at that level. That's a lack of liquidity. There was no buyers. There was a vacuum between where the sellers wanted to sell. I mean, everybody wanted to sell at the last price, right? But there was no buyers there. Think about an auction market, right? You, you go to Sotheby's and you want to buy a, a painting, right? And so what, how does that work, right? So the guy gets up there and he starts running off his list. He says $10, $20, $30, $40, and the price keeps going up. And that's an auction. Well, that's how the market works. The problem in this case was is that the, the auctioneer said, who wants to buy DocuSign at $230 a share? Crickets. $220, $210. 150, 140, okay, I'll buy some, right? You had to go down 40% to find a buyer. That's lack of liquidity. So how could, now, the reason I tell you that is, is because with these top 10 major stocks, right, the Apples, the, the, the Googles, those things, there's always a buyer for a seller right now. There's plenty of liquidity. And I can, if I've got to go dump a billion dollars worth of stock in Apple, I can do that without moving the price very much because there's a willing buyer over there willing to buy a billion dollars worth of Apple stock at the moment. But what would happen if something changes? And this is the risk to all these stocks. I've got a chart of Apple up here just as an example. And, you know, Apple's gone just straight up here recently. It's had just a fantastic run. The problem is, is that there are no buyers. Until you get back down into the 140, 150 area on the stock. Stock's currently trading around 180. So you're talking about a $40 drop in Apple pretty quickly to find buyers. Most of the buyers right now exist somewhere around 120, 130 on the stock. So there's just this huge gap between the current price of Apple and where all the buyers are sitting willing to buy it. 
And so at some point, if, if something comes up, right, they miss earnings, they have some type of bad announcement, there's a slowdown in the economy next year, the risk to the markets in the short term is a sharp decline in the prices of these top 10 stocks that make up 30% of the index. Because they're the ones that's been holding it up. You know, they're, they've been, it's, it's like this, uh, you know, it's kind of like a life vest on a drowning victim, right? The guy can't swim. He's out in the middle of the ocean. He can't swim. And if it wasn't for that life vest, he'd drown, right? And that's what's been happening with the markets. These top 10 have been supporting the entire market up to this point. So if something happens that reverses those top 10 stocks, there's your risk to the market. So people always ask me, it's like, well, Lance, you know, what could cause a bear market? That. Something that changes the psychology of those top 10 stocks. Their valuations are tremendously overvalued. You know, if we take a look at some of these companies from a fundamental valuation basis, it's hard to justify the price that you're paying for some of these companies. You know, Apple's a great company. I don't have any problem with them at all. Uh, we own them, right? We own Apple. Uh, full disclosure, in our equity models, we own Apple. We own uh, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, NVIDIA. Guess what? We own the top, most of the top 10. <laughs> we own JP Morgan. Um, and the reason is, is that's because where money flows have been going. So that's where we go, right? As Wayne Grisky once said, you go to where the puck is, right? So we're, that's where we invest, that's where the puck's going right now, so that's where we need to be invested. We understand the valuation risk, and we're monitoring that closely. But, you know, Apple's a great company. There's no, no problem with that at all. And assuming that they can grow their earnings at the rate they're continuing to do that, then valuations are, you know, 30 times earnings. It's not huge. It's, it's, it's overvalued. But it's not, it's not, you know, 500 times earnings like a Tesla, right? But valuations matter. But, you know, the problem is, is that when you take a look price to sales. Now, these are sales per share, right? And Apple has been reducing their share count over the last five years by billions of dollars in order to support valuations. Price to sales currently at almost eight times price to sales. What does that mean? Well, they've got to grow sales at about 400% a year to justify the current price. The problem is they've been growing sales at 11% a year. So that's the risk to a lot of these companies. Now, what causes that sea change to psychology? Who knows? But we certainly have some of those catalysts coming up next year between Fed rate hikes, the flattening yield curve, weaker economy, et cetera. Come back from the break. We'll get into more into this with The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Um, so a couple of things to kind of wrap up this conversation. I know we've kind of gotten off into the, you know, kind of in the depths of, of kind of this market capitalization problem of the markets. And, you know, that's the, you know, the, the crux of a lot of the conversations that we're going to have going into to next year. Because at the moment, there's this whole idea that the markets just can't go down, right? I mean, it's it's kind of no matter how we look at this, everything's fine and and the whole market's healthy. And that's not really that's really not what's going on with the market. The the market is not healthy. And you know, we forget that in these moments of exuberance that we've been in over the last, you know, couple of years now, that ultimately stocks cannot remain detached from the economy forever, right? There is a correlation, you know, ultimately there's the sales that a company makes. And, you know, we talk about price to sales a good bit on the show. And, you know, maybe I haven't done a good enough job of explaining why, why price to sales is, is important. And I think this is, you know, a kind of a key component of this whole thing. So, you know, if you take a look at price to sales for Apple, they're trading at eight times price to sales. You know, Google's nine. Microsoft is trading at 14 times price to sales. NVIDIA is trading at roughly uh, 14, 15 times price to sales. Tesla's at 29 times price to sales. Why does that matter, Lance? Why does it matter what price to sales is? You know, valuations don't matter anymore. I, I get it. That's what it seems like in the markets. But There's a Scott McNeely back in 2000 did an interview and he was uh, talking to the interviewer. I believe it was Bloomberg at the time. And Scott McNeely was the CEO of Sun Microsystems at the time. And stock was one of these high flying dot com stocks. And again, you know, I'll be happy when we eclipse the new, you know, peak in valuation so we can stop talking about the 1999 bubble when we talk about the new bubble. Um, but back in 1999, 2000, they asked Scott McNeely, you know, kind of what's going on with, with the stock and investors were buying Sun Microsystems, just like they're buying Apple and Microsoft and NVIDIA today. I mean, it was, back then they were, they were the, they were the company. He says he has, and he had a great quote about price of sales or revenues, however you want to classify it, say sales or revenue, uh, interchangeable words. He said this, and, and at this time, the stock was only trade only trading at 10 times price to revenue, right? Not 29, not 14, not 20. At 10 times revenues, to give you a 10-year payback on your money, I have to pay you 100% of the revenues for 10 straight years in dividends. That assumes I can get that by my shareholders, it assumes I have zero cost of goods sold, which is very hard for a computer company. That assumes zero expenses, which is really hard with 39,000 employees. That assumes I pay no taxes, which is very hard. And that assumes you pay no taxes on your dividends, which is kind of illegal. And that assumes with zero R&D for the next 10 years, I can maintain the current revenue run rate. Now, listen to that, that sentence one more time. I can maintain not grow, just maintain the current revenue run rate. 
Now, having done that, would any of you like to buy my stock at $64 a share? Do you realize how ridiculous those basic assumptions are? But yet, though that ridiculousness of those assumptions is rampant in the market currently. You know, we can take a look at Microsoft, for example, right? Stock's currently trading at 14 times price to sales. Now, their sales growth over the past five years has been 13% annually. And you've got a stock that's trading at 40 times earnings right now, 14 times price to sales. At two times price to sales, you've got to pretty much double your earnings on an annual, your revenue on an annual basis just to maintain that valuation. So they've been growing their their revenue at 13 times price to sales. How much do I have to grow it at 14 times price to sales just to maintain the current valuation? And again, this assumes that they have no outstanding, you know, cost or anything else, right? Do you realize how ridiculous those basic assumptions are? as Scott McNeely said. But, you know, Apple's is a great notice of this because, again, in 2017, they had about 208 billion shares outstanding. Today, they've got about 16 billion shares outstanding. I'm sorry. Uh, in 2017, they had 20 billion shares outstanding. I apologize. I misread my decimal. <laughs> Today, they have 16. So they've reduced their share count by over 4 billion shares. So if I, what would my price to sales be on a sales per share basis if I hadn't been buying shares back like crazy to help inflate those sales per share? Because remember, when I reduce my share count, it makes my sales per share look better. So if I stick 4 billion shares back onto the ledger and say, what, what is my valuation now? Apple is grossly overvalued. Because when we talk about price to sales, we're talking about sales per share, right? So do kind of back in the math. Sales for the past five years have been 11%, 13% for Microsoft. Now that's, pretty impressive growth for a company the size of Apple or Microsoft, but it certainly doesn't justify the valuation level that we're currently assigning these stocks. And everybody knows this, by the way, right? Everybody in the market knows that Apple, Microsoft, these are fully mature companies. They can't grow fast enough anymore to justify the valuations that we're assigning to these stocks. But we're hiding in those stocks. I am too. Again, full disclosure, we own these stocks. Why? I know they're overvalued, but the prices are going up. Right now, all I'm doing in our portfolios is chasing momentum because why? I have to. If I don't, I suffer from career risk and I lose clients. And look, I run a business. So I've got to compete with everybody else. I could certainly be, you know, an extremely logical investor, and I wouldn't be invested at all right now, but I wouldn't have any clients either. So, you know, that's why we run very strict 
sells, you know, you know, a very strict investment discipline in our portfolios. We have a, a regular profit-taking process. We've got stops that we run on all of our positions. We hedge on a regular basis. We do all those things to control our risk, but because we realize there's risk. You know, it, it's it's you know, this is always kind of the interesting thing with investors. Look, you go out on a boat, you wear a life vest, right? Why? Because you might fall overboard, right? <laughs> The risk is you might fall overboard on the boat and you might drown or, you know, you might fall overboard in the boat. The boat leaves you and you're hanging out there in the water. You, you know, you're going to drown without a life vest eventually. So that's why you wear a life vest, right? Why do you carry an umbrella? Because it might rain. But when it comes to investment portfolios, people go risk, whatever. You know, Warren Buffett once said that investing in the stock market is a lot like sex. It feels the best at the very end. You know, the other side of that is doing it unprotected has unprotected surprises, right? <laughs> That's what happens in the stock market. You know, if you invest in a highly overvalued, highly <sighs> greedy market that we're in now, It's going to feel great all the way to the very end. And if you do it unprotected, if you don't have any hedge you know, structures, you don't manage your risk, et cetera, you know, if you don't use protection, you're going to wind up with a very unpleasant surprise. That's the problem that the majority of investors are facing today is they don't realize because all they do is they look at the S&P, right? Let's go back to our original conversation now. All they do is look at the S&P and they go, oh, the S&P is up 25% this year. It's great. And they're not looking at their portfolio. All they do is look at the index and they go, oh, index is up. So my portfolio must be doing fine. At the end of the year, they'll get their statements and they'll look at those statements and go, what, what, what happened? Why? What happened? And it's because of this bifurcation that we have going on in the markets right now. And again, it's fine. This is what markets do. We saw the same type of concentration in markets back in 1999. It's just This is what markets do. And we're in that melt-up phase of the markets where the concentration risk is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Or I should say concentration risk is getting larger, but the, the number of stocks are getting smaller than where money's hiding. And what causes that to change? I don't know. Nobody does. But some event will happen. Something will happen that will, overnight, that will seem like, changes investor psychology from bullish to bearish. And that's when you have that break in the market. Now, again... It really won't be overnight. It'll be a buildup of events. It'll be the Fed hiking rates. It'll be the taper of the balance sheet. It'll be the flattening of the yield curve. Those are the things that will lead us to that point. And it will seem like just overnight there was a change of attitude. But it won't be. You're seeing it now underneath the surface. Go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get our latest article on this issue on the website now. It's called Wipeout. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to give us a call. 
uh, or send us an email. Always happy to help you out. Uh, if you send your email questions, I answer them there every single day. Just simply go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Also get signed up for our latest events, newsletter, daily commentary. There's so much there, stuff for you. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.